This is a show to learn the ins and outs of going on an African safari about everything you need to know, including seeing, photographing, and experience animals is here. Listen to plan the perfect African safari for you. Enjoy the show. Hi, welcome to the Travel Advice Show. My name's Chris Newton, one of the co-hosts, and thank you for listening all around the world, and feel free to email or comment us at traveladviceshow.com. And I'd like to introduce my other co-host, uh, Jerry Fuller. How you doing, Jerry? Excellent. Wonderful. Yes. Yeah. And I'm very excited to introduce our guest, Mike Nesbitt of African Safari Company and President. Expeditions. He's president. Right. And welcome, Mike. We're really happy to have you talking about the African safari. Well, thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Yeah, welcome. Welcome. Yeah. Thanks. Well, I guess to begin yeah. with, I know, as we talked earlier, that most people that want to go to Africa want to go on safari. And I know all my friends do. And how do you quickly determine on the phone what kind of safari they should take? Is there a technique or a way that you do that to save time and get the right place? Well, there's not, not exactly a technique, but it, it really helps with, with planning. And let me say in the offset that, that most of what we do are custom safaris. So our job, uh, myself and my daughter who works with me, our job is to ask a few questions and try to find out uh, uh, where, where people want to go, when they want to go, and uh, finally, what they hope to see. Some people have uh, wish lists of things that they want to tick off. Other people are just happy to go out there and see whatever there is to see. Um, so once we start the planning process, uh, we ask questions and then we try to solicit uh, responses from our, our potential clients um, so that we can plan a safari that's going to meet all the expectations. Perfect. Oh, also, um, is there a best time to go to Africa to see the animals? Uh, there's not necessarily a best time. There are more preferable times. Um, in, in, in Africa, when we're talking about East Africa and Southern Africa, so everything from about Uganda south down the African continent, the best game viewing is considered to be the winter time. And winter down in the southern hemisphere stretches from June uh, through October. The reason for this is that when there's less water, if, if I should say that, that, that in the winter of the dry months, so when the, uh, the rainy season is, is, in, uh, is in summer, so in the dry months, the game is easy to see. The, the leaves have lost their, <laughs> the trees have lost their leaves. Uh, water holes dry up so the animals congregate around rivers oh, or okay. dams and so it makes game viewing easier not necessarily better uh, for photography a lot of our professional photographers that we work with uh, prefer to go in what is called the green season when yeah there is some rain and in some places it can be quite you know, quite tropical never last long um, 
but it does make things wet, makes the roads uh, wet, and uh, you know they're all dirt roads, and so uh, there is a you know, chance of getting stuck in the mud. But the backgrounds are all green and lush. Um, makes the game very more difficult. You have to look a little harder, but that depends you know, very much on whatever country and whatever park within that country that you're in. When would you go to the animals uh, north of the equator in East Africa? Would it be the same time as South Africa? Well, the, the equator actually runs right through Kenya. And uh, Uganda is just, just a tiny bit north of, of, uh, of the equator, so it makes no difference. So Uganda, Rwanda, Tanzania, and Kenya are the East African countries. And uh, they are all uh, temperate climates. So they're mostly at 5,000 feet or above, and the temperature doesn't vary all that much. Um, again, the rainfall in, in, in East Africa is mm, middle of November through the end of March, maybe running into the middle of April. So that's what would be the green season. Now, the, the, the other corollary to this is that the rates drop. So mm -hmm. in the... In the mm. In the dry season, where we're in, and which is our North American summer, when most people want to travel, the rates are the highest. Mm. So for people on a, on a budget or um, just don't want to spend as much money as, as you can spend, because safaris can be quite expensive, uh, I always suggest that they travel in the shoulder season, which is um, May, early June, and uh, late October and November when they can get reduced rates and really good game viewing at the same time. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, Mike, um, you know, with with your clients that go, is is Africa kind of a family destination? Do you get a lot of, like, families on the safaris? Is there, like, it a... Is be yeah. it, it's, beca it's becoming that way. Really? Um, oh, okay. In the early days, when we started, I've been doing this for the last 18 years now, oh, wow. and we used to get very few children, mm -hmm. um, mostly because of cost. Um, airfare, you know, it's a long way from here. The airfares are relatively expensive, although not really too bad. Uh -huh. um, and a lot of people were traveling who were uh, retired. Um, that has changed in the last few years. Now we get a lot of multi-generational families traveling. The lodges are really beginning to cater to families. They're putting in special tents that, that have a, a typical family tent would have a sleeping room, a, a, a common area, like a little lounge, maybe dining room table, and another tent interconnected because um, you don't want your children wandering around, you know, out of right, out right. Or your, you know, even yourself. You don't, want to, you don't go out of your tent at night. And so with, with the availability of more and more family units coming on, on stream, it's becoming a, a, a quite a big family destination. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, like, I, I have a friend, and his uh, his father took his family and all the kids. It seems like a lot of like retired fathers are taking their their extended families and stuff like that. It uh -huh. seems like, yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, we we are definitely seeing seeing that. Yeah, uh, and the, the the other thing for families, depending on how big the family is, uh, uh -huh. we also use a lot of private villas, uh, some oh. lodges have have built purpose built or they may be the lodges that the the uh safari camp owner lived in and now has moved out to make them available for clients which can accommodate 10 12 sometimes even up to 16 people for wow. an extended family mm. and that way you have your own 
safari. I mean, you're totally your own safari. Wow. You're your own guide, your own chef, your own vehicles. Um, and it's a great way you know, for families to travel. Hmm. Let me ask, um, does it matter um, which lodge you stay in? I know in certain areas they have several lodges available. Does it matter? Uh, you, do you mean with respect to children? Uh, oh, no. Or just in general? Um, no, just um, for the experience of going. Um, it, let's say just again, a couple is going. Yeah, it, 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 it again rather goes back to how much you pay. Uh, in East Africa, particularly, there are a lot of very big lodges. When I say big, maybe like hotels, 8, 60, 70, 80 rooms. Wow. Those tend to be a lot less expensive than the Tenford camp. Tented camps um, tend to be pretty like at the high end of the market, and they're small. And the thing about small is you're not you know, staying in a hotel. You're staying in a, in a safari camp. And um, you know, to, to my mind, I've done many, many, many safaris in, in, in both the big lodges and the small lodges. I always prefer a small lodge. Far more intimate. You get to know your guide a lot better. Um, the guide's who do the guiding in the small lodges are, are employed by the lodge. So they don't try and cover the whole country. They are just covering the area close to their lodge. So they know the area extremely well, and they know where to find the animals. Um, their knowledge is much greater. So for a number of reasons, uh, the smaller camps are, to my mind, a lot nicer. The catches, they're more expensive. Yeah, can you give us an example by what you mean expensive? Okay. Um. <laughs> I know that's almost impossible because well, I have to do it by and things. My word. Well, you have to do it by country. All right. Uh, because of the, the, the economics are vastly different between, say, South Africa and Botswana. Mm. Uh, South Africa has a very good first world type infrastructure, getting goods and supplies to the to the lodges and the parks. Are relatively easy. Botswana is a total opposite. Botswana is uh, most of the game lodge, game parks are, are tented. They're in remote areas. There's a lot of water in the Okavango Delta, and it's it's difficult and expensive to fly your supplies in there. And you even have to fly yourself in. And you have to fly yourself. It's all all light planes. They, they are chartered, but they fit in planes. You don't have to. You know, charter the whole plan. There are regular scheduled flights, but they're all seven, uh, twelve passenger uh, light aircraft. So that pushes up the cost. The other thing is in Botswana, which is the most expensive, they the, the camps lease large tracts of land from the government. The government gets a lot of money for them, and tells them because they're very conservation conscious in Botswana, tells them how many beds they can sell, so how big your camp is going to be. Now, if you're paying millions of dollars for your space, and the government's saying you can rent the space, but you cannot sell more than 20 beds a night, um, that's going to push your prices way up. Mm-hmm. In South Africa, um, there are far more lodges. They're easy to get, so you drive from, you know, from, you can fly, drive or fly from Johannesburg uh, into into your uh, into your large supplies are easy to get, labor is easy to get, and house, and so the uh, the costs are very different. 
Now I'm getting to answer. <laughs> I'm still going to answer your question. So mm-hmm. in South Africa, and and when I when I give you a price, bear in mind that it covers the cost of your accommodation, all your meals. In some cases, the high-end camp it covers alcoholic drinks, and all of your game viewing, which is about six six to eight hours a, a day of driving around looking for animals. Um, so there's a lot that goes into it. So in South Africa, you're starting at the bottom end at, say, uh, three plus, yeah, it's like in the star system, uh, three plus stars at around 350 per person per night. All the rates are per person per night. Uh, and it goes all the way up to $2,000 per person per night. Wow, yeah. And okay. In, 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 a, in a, a, five, a five plus star camp. So there's a huge range in South Africa. In Botswana, they're no three pluses. They're four stars or they're five stars. And the range in the high season is from $1,000 up to $2,500 per person per night. You can see that there's, there's, a, there's a big difference. East Africa, Kenya and Tanzania. Kenya's a little less expensive than Tanzania. But the range there is more between 450 and 1200. Uh, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe's actually the bargain of right now because they're just coming back onto the market because of their, you know, their political problems. The camps have been refurbished, they're beginning to open up, and they know they have to compete with South Africa, so their prices are much more like South Africa's. Uh, much more affordable for people, you know, who who can't afford the, the, the utmost luxury. Um, so yeah, there's there's a wide range, and then and that's those are fixed camps. There's another product called mobile camping, where the camp moves with you every night or every second night. Um, those tend to be the most affordable. Uh, there are companies that sell participation camping where. People actually help put up the tents and cook the meals. We don't sell that product. That's not something that we're interested in selling. When we talk mobile camping, everything is done for you. The tents are erected, the food is prepared. Um, it's a much more uh, relaxing uh, type of, of uh, uh, style of, of, of uh, travel. But because you don't have the high fixed overhead cost of a permanent camp, they tend to be a lot less expensive. Uh, so they're very common in Botswana and in Tanzania. Not so much in South Africa or Kenya or Zimbabwe or, Zam- uh, or Zambia for that much. Wow. Yeah. It makes a... There's a lot of product. There's a, there's a lot of different variables. Yeah. Yeah, I know I've been going to um, East and Southern Africa for probably 50 years. And I've noted a huge change in not only um, the accommodation, but the um, as you mentioned the different styles. The first time, well, no, the first time I went to Africa myself, I went overlanding, mm-hmm. and uh, I was in my twenties, early twenties, and that, as you said, um, we had to cook, shop for food, everything. I mean, it was work, but fabulous. And but the last. Many times I've gone over the last 20 years, I I have found, and do agree or disagree, as I upgrade my accommodation, 
um, my trip is a lot better. As you say, they have the uh, lodges have their own guides, and it's just absolutely phenomenal. And I wanted to ask you this question. Um, if you want to see the big five animals, um, uh-huh. where would you recommend someone going that they have the best chance of seeing all five? Is there such a place? Oh, yes. There are several places. I mean, most of them. Uh, all uh, let me say all the countries we we sell safaris in nine different countries. Uh, all of them have the big five. Uh, some of them you, you're not. If Rwanda is, is specialized in gorillas in, in the in the mountains. Gorillas are why you go to Rwanda. They have some parks, but the, the infrastructure is not developed. Um, I, we don't recommend them. If you want to see gorillas and have a uh, big five plus safari experience. Do that in Tanzania or Kenya, and then go to uh, to um, Rwanda. Rwanda, okay. Go to Rwanda <laughs> okay. to see the gorillas. <laughs> right. The other place to see gorillas is, is uh, Uganda. Uganda have better parks. You can have a big five experience fairly easily in uh, Uganda. Kenya and Tanzania are still better. So again, we we advise people to go to Uganda to see the gorillas and the chimps. But if you want to have that 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 better uh, game viewing experience, um, we suggested that you go to Kenya or Tanzania. Yeah. But if you only want to go to Uganda, you can have the big five experience there. Zambia, Zimbabwe, Botswana, South Africa. Uh, what do I left out? Namibia. Um, Namibia, you will have the big five experience. Namibia is a very different country to the others. Yes. Um, so to, just to answer your, your big five question, yes, you're going to have those in all the other countries. Some are more easy to see endangered species like rhino. Um, if, if rhino is on your list that you have to see, um, there are some places I wouldn't send you because they're harder to find and other places where they're pretty easy to find. Um, so that would, that would rather depend on, on, on how important rhino are. Lions, leopards, um, elephants, buffalo, you're going to see pretty much everywhere else. I know some of the lodges I go to uh, offer walking safaris by, uh, for a few hours. Do you recommend them? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. And, uh, yeah, when we... When we there are two kinds of walking safaris. The one which you've just mentioned is you're staying in the camp, you don't want to do a game drive, or walking is offered, and you think, hey, this is a great thing to do, let's try it. Three or four hours out with, an, with a guide who is always armed with a rifle, trained you know, to, to protect you. Um, great thing to do because you get to learn about the, the tracks, uh, which are called a spur in, in, in South Africa. You get to see the spur... You get to learn about the bushes. You learn something about herbal medicine. It's a great thing to do, and it doesn't. It's usually pretty flat. It's not hiking in any sense. It's really walking fairly slowly. You don't see a lot of animals because they tend to scatter. Um, you could see elephant from a distance. You could see giraffe certainly because they're big. Um, you, you will see some animals. You might walk into lions. It happens. Um, <laughs> most people manage to get out of that without uh, you know, being <laughs> very excited about it. 
Um, but yeah, a walk is good. Now there is also another product called a walking safari where you can go out for four or five days and walk from camp to camp to camp. Really? That's more specialized and uh, Thank you for listening to our show from all around the world. We really appreciate that. And we'd like to uh, give a shout out. Uh, thank you to Stephen Pratt for helping compose the music, the wonderful intro and the ending of the show. And i also like to uh, say thank you to James Steed um, for helping with the website and audio information. And also Nate Scholes um, about uh, getting us on the right track and helping us on the podcast on Travel Advice Show. Um, so thank you so much, and uh, enjoy all your travels around the world. You had no one else to talk to, but they made it wonderful. But we did a walking safari, and I'm terrified of snakes. Heights and snakes don't even talk about it. And so okay. we do this walking mm-hmm. safari for about three hours. And I told the guide as we're driving out there, he is wonderful. And I said, don't you dare let us see a snake. So anyway, we walk around, and we start to get back into our four-wheel um, drive vehicle. And my friend who was with me said, what kind of snakes did we see? And without thinking, he said, oh, they were black mamba. And I said, we were near black mamba? And he said, oh, yeah, oh, he said, oh, I didn't mean to say that. And I said, really? He said, yeah, there are two of them. One was about four feet from us. And I said, oh, I was a, I was a total wreck. Jumped in that car and didn't leave till it got bad. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, you very, very seldom see snakes. I consider it really a privilege, particularly if you see a python. You, know, you oh, see yeah. pythons from the vehicle because they're so big. Right. Um, the snakes are there. Yeah. You just don't see them. They, they are scared of people. Um, yeah. They're in the trees. Um, never, never really had a snake problem on a safari. Mm-hmm. Well, I tell you, um, we were talking about Uganda and Rwanda, about the gorillas, because mm-hmm. um, I've been to each of those several times. And I, I won't say what I'm going to say now. But could you talk about the expense, the price of doing them mm-hmm. compared to the rest of the big five, the animals throughout rest rest of Africa? The expense, the, 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 it's not the expense of the lodges or particularly of getting there. The expense is in the permits. Oh, um, the permits. Gorillas, oh, okay. gorillas, mountain gorillas are highly endangered. Um, they've been done a great job in the last 10 years to, to protect the ones that they have in Rwanda National Park in Rwanda, and that extends also into Uganda. And uh, so to protect them, they have uh, armed patrols in the mountains constantly uh, looking after these guys. That is expensive. And so for tourists coming in to see the gorillas, you're going to pay in Rwanda $750 per person per trek. Now, most treks, one day is usually enough. I, when I did it, I went out in one day. I saw gorillas within half an hour of, of getting out of the vehicle. Unusual, really? But that's, How but did that's you the way out? it can work. Mm-hmm. Now, now, if you unlucky, <laughs> you may take <laughs> my word for it. You definitely are. Let me go with you the next time. <laughs> we end up walking for like hours and hours yeah. with me. Mm-hmm. Can. And, and it can be very arduous. Mm-hmm. Rain in the mud, sliding. Uh, <laughs> but when you see the gorillas, it doesn't matter. Huh. It yeah. is one of the most exciting things I have ever done. Wow, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's where a lot of expense comes in. 
you got to get there. Permits. You've got to spend, you know, just sort of a day getting to the park and a day getting back. So mm. You're going to spend at least three nights. A lot of people book two nights uh, of gorillas. When you pay your seven hundred and fifty dollars, but you've got to pay way in advance because they're, you know, they're very, the limited number of groups. Only six people go on each group, and only once a day. Um, and when you're with the gorillas, you're allowed to spend one hour, and they really are strict about it because they don't want the gorillas to be disturbed too much. They, the gorillas are quite happy to have people sit and watch them, but we don't want to disturb their natural lifestyle you know, by sitting around for hours. Um, you get an hour, and then you're out. Um, Let me so ask you a quick question. Um, do yeah. you recommend um, buying a two-day pass, getting permits for two consecutive days, rather than just having one day pass permit? I, you know, in, in Rwanda, your chances of seeing of gorillas in one, on any given day in Rwanda is about 99%. In Uganda, the gorilla groups are more spread out. And I would, and, and the prices are cheaper. They less, are they $500 currently in, in Uganda. So I would suggest the one day maybe in Rwanda and two days in Uganda. It also takes you longer to get to the gorillas in Uganda because they're much further away from from Entebbe where you're going to land. And so I would suggest two days in Uganda, one day in Rwanda. I have not heard, I've never had clients who did not see them. But some people want to see them twice. You know, one hour is not enough. <laughs> they want to right. go back and, and, and see a different group. Uh, so then you can you can book them as many nights as you like. But yeah, you know, of course. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll never forget more. the first time I ever saw the gorillas years ago. We'd gone through all the rain, the mud, the horrible. He was whacking down jungles so bad. And we get up there, and as you start to go, he says, "Shh." So everybody stops talking. Well, we don't talk much. And you get up there, and all of a sudden he raised his hand. I'll never forget it. As you mentioned, when you first saw them, he um, raised his hand. We pointed to the left. We all looked left, and there was a huge male gorilla, not six feet from us, staring mm -hmm. us right in the eye. Wow. And, mm -hmm. I mean, we almost jumped back and screamed, but we didn't make a sound. We just stared there and looked. It is truly, you're right. It's one of the most exciting experiences you'll ever have on this earth. There's nothing like it. Yeah, no, I think you should explain that these groups are habituated before. Anybody is allowed to go before the public, you know, tourists are allowed to go and view them. The, the park rangers spend a lot of time with them, uh, just hanging out, mm, so that okay. they become habituated to humans. Not that, not where you're feeling and touching, and, you know, it's not that sort of habituation, but they yeah. get used to your presence and they tolerate you. And that's, I mean, gorillas are big, powerful animals. You do not want to get on the wrong side of a silverback gorilla. Yeah. Um, so the, the safety aspect is, is important, and they will not take you into a group. And they usually, when I talk to a group, they're usually a family. It could be a couple of males and a bunch of females and a bunch of babies. could be, oh, anywhere from six to maybe 12, uh, maybe more in a group. That's, that's a family group. Um, so they're not going to take you to see those guys until they've been uh, habituated to the fact that they can tolerate and will tolerate humans. 
Is there anything else that you should tell our listeners about preparing for? Well, the other thing, the other thing about Rwanda and and Uganda are the chimps. Yes, oh, you, the can chimps. See, you can oh, see nice. chimps in both countries. Uh, better to see in Uganda. They're a little more difficult in Rwanda because they're not in the same place. The chimps and gorillas do not hang out together. They're, they're in different parks, different places. Uh, so the chimps are good in Uganda and also in Tanzania on the shores of Lake uh, Victoria, which is where uh, Jane Goodall did a lot. Uh, yeah, Jane Goodall did a lot of her work. All right. Um, Mahali. Uh, you can see you can see uh, a chimps, uh, wild chimps in the trees. They, you don't get as close to them as the gorillas, um, but they're there. You you do see them. Uh, one last question I have: um, Ngorongoro Crater. Do you think yes. that is a must if you're in Tanzania? You know, <laughs> I know. And and I have a reason for asking question. that question. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> It, it, it's, it's a must if you can tolerate the crowds. Right. So I think you have to know, and, this, and we will be very frank with people, um, everybody wants to go there knowing nothing about it because they've read about it or they've heard about it. <laughs> I know. And it's a fantastic place. The problem is you've got a lot of those big lodges I was talking about earlier. There yes. are three or four of them right on the room. There are also right. a lot of them down on the outside slopes of, of the of the volcano, of the caldera. And so in the morning, the, 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 the vehicles line up, and you could see 20, 30 vehicles in line, and that can yeah. continue for hours. So down in the bottom of the crater at, at, say, 11, 12 o'clock, you can have a couple of hundred vehicles. And the crater is only five miles across. So, yeah. again... I like to travel in May. I like to travel in November. You nice. don't get the crowds. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and it's, you know, I know I've learned. Um, I like to go with a private driver and, and guide, as we were talking about. Uh, I remember mm-hmm. one time uh, our guide um, knew that I like to do things a, l- a little different. We were the first in line. We got up. I don't remember what hours. Unbelievable. In at the uh, park entrance, and we drove mm-hmm. in. And we got down, and um, we got over there, and, and he honked the horn, and hundreds of flamingos just took off the lake. <laughs> it was wow. un- yeah. <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, and nobody we else was around. Be honking his horn. But the, the flamingos are definitely it. one of the things illegal, I think. In, in the lake. That's great. Yeah, um, the, the other the other little trick to that is there is a lodge, one of the big lodges, but it's a good one. And some smaller tented camps on the other side from where the from where the main lodges are, the main entrance. They have their own private entrance. Really. So if you stay in one of those, you can you can get into the lodge early and avoid the lines. Really. Now you can't. And how do you early. get there? They're, they're open the gates on both ends at the same time. Right. But if you if you're the you know, if you're the thirtieth vehicle in line, it's going to take you hours just to get down there. Right. If you stay at the lodges that I recommend, if that's what you want to do, then you can get down in, in, in 10 minutes. But how do you get there? Is it a paved road to get to the other side? Um, it's sort of semi-paved. There's one road down, because it's very steep. There's one road down and one road up. Mm. Except on the other side, there's one road right. down. So it's, uh, it's, it's not making sense. You have two roads no, no, down and one road up. Right. 
but the two roads down on opposite sides of the caldera. So it's, one, it's two-way traffic on the side that you like? Uh, no, it's one way. You've got to come out with everybody else. Oh, oh, I see. So you have you to can go down. You can go lake. down on the private, sort of semi-private road, but right. you've got to come out with everybody with else. With everybody else. And that's, that's not a big deal because that's staggered. You come out whenever you want to. Um, most uh, people will uh, take a picnic lunch. Now the, the lodges will pack a picnic lunch for you, and then there are a number of different spots that you can stop and, and, and get out and stretch your legs, their ablutions, and, uh, you know, and have your lunch. Others will try and go back to the lodge for lunch. Others you know, can eat in their car. I mean, there are some options. Uh, so getting out is not a problem. It's just okay. the getting in. I have one last question. How much in advance should somebody book their safari to Africa? It's almost unlimited. Um, and, the, and the problem is, and again, it depends on the country. If you're talking about getting into some of the more luxurious small camps, and like, like first-class seats on an airline, they're the ones that sell out first. You know, the people who have the money are willing to spend it. Um, so in Botswana and in some of the, the smaller camps in, in, in Tanzania, Ten Kenya, um, you, you could book up to a year ahead. Um, you know, we have people calling us now wanting to go next month. <laughs> and there's just no oh. space. You know, they have specific, they want to go to this camp. Well, yeah. I'm sorry, that camp's been booked out for months. Right. So the further out, let me put it this way, the further out you book, the better chance you have of getting what you want. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, so right I, now you, is a good time for next year. Oh, absolutely. For, in fact, we, we will not be booking anything else this year. And this is just a natural you know, way things go. We're at the end of the high season. So just about every call or email we get now is for next year, and we have some for 1918. Really? We got quite a few bookings for 1918. Um, so people, I don't know, and it does tend to be more experienced people who've been to Africa a couple of times and understand a little more about how things work. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they they will tend to book further ahead because they have an idea of what they really want to do and what they want to see, where they want to go. And that's what they want. If they can't get it, they'll switch their dates you know, so they can get it. They've read about it. They, they, maybe they're going back to the camp they've been to before and they fell in love with it and they want to go back. So, yeah, I, I, I would think at least six months. Okay. Six months okay. to a year. That's great. Well, Mike, we want to thank you very, very much. Yeah, thank you, Mike. guest today yeah. talking about On Safari. And would you tell our listeners how they can contact you and your company? Absolutely. Uh, I'm in Seattle, so I'm West Coast time. Of mm-hmm. time. Um, our 800 number is 800-414-3090. I'll repeat that, 800-414-3090. It works in the U.S. and in Canada. Okay. Um, if you're not in those, in those countries and you're further afield, our local number, which you can dial from anywhere, is 206 Eric code 206 284 7682. 206 284 7682. Or our, you can find us our, our website. We've got a pretty extensive website which answers a lot of questions. Uh, they talk about how to support and what to dress and where to go and when to go and temperatures. And, oh, and great. So there's a huge amount of information on the website. 
and that is www.africansafariCO.com. CO stands for company. We couldn't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's africansafariCO.com. Yes. And my email address is mike at africansafariCO.com. Great. Oh, well, Mike, Mike yeah. thank you so much. Yeah, th thanks a lot, Mike. I was super informative, man. I'm really, uh, it sounds like it, you, you put on some great trips there. Yeah. So. Yeah, so yeah. it was nice talking to you, and hopefully uh, yeah, we, we've done some good and got some people interested in, in visiting Africa, which unfortunately yeah. some of the species are not going to be there forever. Yeah. Oh, I know it. Yeah. You have to go now. Yeah. I mean, I've been going to many of these lodges, as I say, I mean, areas and reserves for 50 years. And um, it's amazing the decrease in the number and size of the animal population. Mm. Mm. Yeah, population. It's yeah. scary what's well, happening. It's terrifying. Yeah. So go now. Yeah. It's not too late, but do it mm. now. Well, thanks again, right. Mike. Thank you for listening to our show from all around the world. We really appreciate that.